the GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So Mike, happy happy birthday, third week in a row. It's your birthday month. We're still uh, two weeks left. Uh, how are you feeling? You're still feeling 28? Yeah, yeah. You know, I still am. Uh, I, I helped move friend of the show, Marty, yesterday. Oh, uh, okay. So, I, uh, so I, I definitely feel old this morning, waking up and just uh, feeling the, the pains, the joint pains. Well, there's like, like we've talked about before, there's no gym open right now, so you're not in any <laughs> great shape to move anymore. But how is it moving during a pandemic? Like, what's that like? Uh, moving during a pandemic is okay. I mean, with the mask on, at first you, you get real sweaty. Yeah, buckets of sweat, a swamp full of sweat, of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're you're getting real sweaty. But uh, it, it uh, you get used to it, I guess. It's just like I think having a mask on in any situation nowadays, the, it's the same answer of just like, yeah, I'm used to it. Yeah, it took it. It didn't take that long to really get used to for me. Like you get, if you're wearing the crappy ones, yeah, it's gonna be a rough time. But mm-hmm. if you're wearing something comfortable, if you buy a, a quality mask, it's not that bad. Especially right now in the winter time, I actually don't mind wearing them because it's cold outside. If like, exactly. you have to go in and yeah. out, like it keeps your face warm. Now it's like a little scarf. The only thing I find for me because I wear glasses is that my glasses get super fogged up mm. any time that I like do anything with a mask uh, outside. True. So I definitely had my contacts on when I was moving Marty yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's brutal. I'm lucky enough I don't have to worry about the whole glasses thing. But it's kind of it, – it sucks when it's like for – if you wear the uh, the mask for like an hour, like it's it's bad. But then you think of the people out there, the folks wearing them for eight, nine, ten hours a day or more, uh, like people in front line. Like that's their just their life for 40 to 50 hours a week right now, which – Oh, yeah. When I went to my hygienist, like like when I got my, my teeth cleaned – uh, she was like, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm laughing cause I've been wearing this mask every day, all day since, you know, like for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right? Like, yeah, it's, it's no different for them. Yeah. That's yeah. why, uh, that's, that's why with schools right now, like all the colleges and universities, none of them can go to class right now except for nursing programs. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, Th- yeah. those ones can, they're, they're just, they're going to be wearing masks <laughs> anyway, so they can still go. <laughs> that's so funny. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, but uh, last week's episode was a lot of fun talking about NHL games with uh, our friends coming on the show. That was a lot of fun, Mike. That was amazing and amazing to yeah. have John McComb, the in-arena mm-hmm. uh, game announcer for uh, uh, for the NHL games. Uh, and he had some amazing things to say. And he had such a nice voice. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. clearly he does radio for a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has nicer voices than us. He can He can listen to himself back and be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For us listening to our self bag, it takes a little bit of getting used to. Kind of like going from a hot tub into a cold pool. Like it's that <laughs> type of thing where you got you'll get used to it, but the first little shock it takes some getting used to. He did send me a very nice message saying, "Hey, Mike, uh, thanks for the link. You edited nicely, made me mm. sound informed. Appreciate all the nice comments at the end. Cheers, oh. John." Perfect. Now that's some nice feedback from John. Thank you, John. Thank you for yeah. listening. And of course, we had Patrick Hickey Jr. join us, who is just an amazing wealth of knowledge of NHL games and video games in general. Yeah, his his twenty eight hours a day of work is really <laughs> just showing. Uh, <laughs> he's putting the Beatles to shame with their eight days a week. He's working nine days a week on whatever he's doing. He's, he's got an author and podcaster, or not not so much podcasting, but more so writing and just journalism in general. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he's got time to play all these games. Uh, he also showed up on uh, the Still Loading podcast this week. Uh, Josh, friend of the show, who's going to be joining us later today, had him 
on his show as well, and he also talked about NHL games, more just NHL games in general and hockey. Um, Are you telling just... me that someone else did a hockey episode when the NHL was going back? That's it's absurd. like everyone had the same idea as us. I can't believe that we didn't have that original thought. Well, we're taking we're taking Josh to court, so <sighs> that's the real reason why he's coming on later today, so we can actually confront him on <laughs> stealing serve. Patrick just, from us. He's getting served. It's a conflict of interest, <laughs> sir. But no, Patrick also recommended last week that uh, that indie game, Super Blood Hockey. Mm-hmm, which I downloaded. Which is, yeah, me too. I sent it over to you. Like I told you, hey, Mike, got to download it, man. It's on sale this week on Switch, PS4. Uh, it is such a good game. I don't know if you've had a chance to play it yet. Of course. Yes, I was playing it this weekend. It is. Uh, you are right. 100% right. It is a lot like a game that we will be covering on this show at some point, Super Mario Strikers, but on ice. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly it. It's an 8-bit version of Super Mario Strikers where you can hit each other as much as you want. You just have to shoot and pass, and that's it. Like, it's just, it's hockey. The periods can be as long or as short as you want them to be. You know, three minutes to, I think it's, uh, I guess, the full, what, ten minutes? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, you can hit the refs, which is a ton of fun. You can play as your your home country. I play as Canada, of course, and I'm not great at it right off the bat. I'll probably get better, but uh, really fun time. And, yeah, like I said, it's on sale right now. I, but at the time this goes live, it might not be on sale anymore, but I, I put it up on our Instagram story that real cheap on PS4 and uh, Switch. I'm sure it's the same on Xbox One. But, uh, yeah, Patrick's completely right. It's the only hockey game on Switch and definitely a darn good one. If, you, uh, if, you are, if you're looking for something fun to play, it's not going to be like NHL, of course, but it's just something to have, like, on the go. And like every NHL game or hockey game, uh, the one timer is ridiculously overpowered. Yes, yeah, it's got got to happen. No, for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a fun time though. Um, oh yeah, I, no, for sure. I, I I love the fight mode when it's like everything just goes into like full brawl and it's just the last man standing wins. And then, and then the one guy is just like lying on the ice, like seizing basically. Instead a- of a, afterwards, in- <laughs> instead of a penalty, it's kind of like there's one guy having like a blood just a blood seizure on the ice for like thirty seconds or something. I so see you have like a four man in- or one man advantage for a little while. It's very clever, very yeah. cute. Yeah. Yep. Mike, just a little bit more Nintendo news before we get the show started. We got a lot of Pokemon Snap news this week. I just wanted to talk about that real quick before we get started today. Are you saying Pokemon Snap news in 2021? Neil, I, I'm not sure where you are and what time uh, you have, have traveled to. It's taken but that's... 20, 22 years <laughs> since the first one, Mike. 1999. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's so weird how Nintendo goes back to these things, man. It's like Pokemon Snap comes out of nowhere this week. I mean, there's been rumors of a Pokemon Snap game now for a long time. Everyone thought we were going to get something like it on Wii U, which would have made a ton of sense, or 3DS. It had that camera. It has the AR sensor. Would have been fun. Yeah. But this week, we just got a draw, a launch for a trailer for Pokemon Snap coming out uh, April 30th, 2021. I'm so stoked, man. It looks beautiful. <laughs> it looks great, and it's honestly like it makes sense to do it. Uh, I just, It's just so weird to me because there's so many things that make sense to do for Nintendo that they never do. Mm-hmm. And then they pull this one out, which is... Amazing, but to be fair, it's probably on the lower list, you know, lower tier list for people because they just assume this. Why would this even happen? I think it's only appeal. It's really just appealing to probably young fans of Pokemon <laughs> and the fans of Pokemon Snap from 1999, yeah. and then nobody in between <laughs> yeah, is going to get this. It's a very, it's a very specific demographic. Yeah, which is why I, I was so surprised that they're doing this instead of I don't know anything else any like maybe a pokemon <laughs> stadium 3 or just another game like another 3d mario game or something that would have made f0 I, you know? I think you're gonna see this game do very well mike though like it's no i think it will i it's honestly be, think it will it's going to be the highest selling pokemon snap game prediction i'm walking that in right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's two but with the uh with the this new pokemon snap game there's going to be 200 pokemon in it with the original one only having 55 
Um, they never put all the Pokemon game Pokemon in these games, which is fine. But uh, it's got a lot of new Pokemon, which I don't know how I feel about that. But for I don't me, know what I else really, to uh, I really only knew about one Pokemon in the whole, whole game, and that was uh, that was Rattatat. Uh, because oh, okay. I I would only take pictures of him, and mm-hmm. uh, and can <laughs> give them to Professor Oak, who every time uh, I don't know if you've ever done this, Neil, but if you take pictures of only one Pokemon, mm-hmm. um, Professor Oak will be like, "Hey, are you sure you want to give me these pictures? They're all the <laughs> <Really>? same." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never tried that. Yeah, I I I didn't know that until I played it at your house. Actually, I think on a New Year's Eve years okay. ago. We we, oh. we we like wanted to play Pokemon Snap, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I just wanted to try and break the game. <laughs> I think we were playing that because Zaffer. We were just trying to show him N sixty four games because he completely skipped <laughs> the N sixty four generation. He had never played Diddy Kong Racing, never played Pokemon Snap, and he was like, "Oh my god, what are these games? I want to see these games." So we showed him the games, and uh, I guess you got into it more than he did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I played. Uh, I hate the N sixty four, obviously, but yeah. I played uh, Pokemon Snap at friends' houses uh, growing up, and I, I I remember having a blast doing it. So much fun for a kid it's such a good way to like be introduced to the pokemon franchise as well it's a fun game and there aren't enough on-rail shooter games anymore they're they're more of an arcade thing like house of the dead or uh time crisis where the, the game decides where you go sort of like Star Fox or um kid icarus but uh, pokemon snap is a really good on-rail shooter it looks great sounds good i i i think this game's going to be one of my favorite games of the year just going to lock that in right now even though i wasn't i didn't know i was looking forward to it a few weeks ago <laughs> when we did our most anticipated games of 2021 mm-hmm. but here we are i'm adding games to the list i honestly think that that kind of game is going to make a big comeback in the next year and a year or two uh like mm-hmm. not not pokemon snap specifically but just like the on rail shooter games or just like the arcadey style games because yeah. a lot of, like, there are no more arcades, really. You know, you, you can't really go and play these kind of games anymore. And um, and developers are always looking for fast and cheap things to uh, to push out. And Pokemon mm-hmm. Snap is a great example. And I, I honestly think that more big developers will be making games like this with licensing. That's my that's my 2022 prediction. A AAA on-rail shooter would be so sick, dude. There aren't there, those never happen. Uh, Star Fox is the only one you can really think of. I would love a AAA on-rail shooter that like Rockstar makes or something. Just some yeah. random developer, like a huge. Not I don't want EA to do it because I know they will. But just something other than just like a cheap throwaway House of the Dead or or some random Wii game that they made. Like a lot of on-rail shooters were on Wii. But yes, yes. yeah, just to have like a AAA game come out that's like this is EA's game of the year. It's like a an on-rail shooter horror game. Like it that would be really cool. I think I think you're right about that. Definitely with like VR. I'm sure that there's tons of those on VR. And I think as well. of things like with like Ring Fit Fitness, uh, mm-hmm. uh Ring Fit Adventure, sorry. Um yep. stuff like that. Like I I can see that being used in like an on-rails thing for not just the Switch but for other other mm-hmm. platforms and yeah, VR, hundred uh, percent Neil. So that's 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 my that's Mike's twenty twenty two prediction. Ooh, twenty twenty two. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about some GameCube. This is episode thirty three of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcast and Spotify. All the other podcast services are there for you as well. If you haven't already, take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Leave us ratings and reviews to help others find our show. We're the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. Visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. Episodes available to download, read some articles that we wrote, and explore our lovely store. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. 
That's you. Last week, we covered NHL 2003, 2004, 2005, and 2006, and of course, NHL 2K3. Who could forget? <laughs> if, <laughs> if you haven't already, download that episode and check it out after this one. This week, we're covering Medal of Honor and Conflict Desert Store games. Did anybody play them? I, I People did. It has a following, but obviously not as big as Medal of Honor, so Medal of Honor will be the, the focus on this episode. And Neil and I, we thought... For a second, we did think about putting Call of Duty and Medal of Honor together because they are both World War II shooters, came mm-hmm. out around the same time, but we feel that Call of Duty probably deserves its own kind of focused episode, as does Medal of Honor, so here we are. There, there's really a cool relationship between Medal of Honor and Call of Duty, which we're going to get into later uh, when friend of the show Josh joins in, and yeah, it's just, it's we really have to cut them up into two, and uh, we figured we'd tie it up with a another military shooter game that... Most folks might not know too much about, so we're just going to try and get them out of the way, to be honest. Um, so, Mike, why don't we start off with Conflict Desert Storm, um, and then we'll get into Medal of Honor after that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, cool. So, Conflict Desert Storm 1 was released on April 22nd, 2003, developed by Pivotal Games, published by Gotham Games. It's also on PS2, Xbox, Windows, and mobile phones. Uh, rates about a 3 out of 5, so it's a good game uh and it, and if you wanted to pick it up today it's going to cost you between 50 and 70 dollars which means yeah. it's pretty hard to find game i've never seen this game either games i've never seen them on shelves uh i think they are quite difficult to find i think they're easier to find on ps2 and xbox i feel like i've seen these i was looking at the cases today and i just i've seen them i i can't put my finger on it there were just so many military shooters in this generation oh yeah and and so this does kind of distinguish itself a little bit because it's a kind of Gulf War shooter, right. uh, so more modern shooter rather than World War II shooters. Uh, mm-hmm. Because as you're obviously going to say very soon, uh, World War II shooters were all the rage in the early 2000s. Literally yep. everyone was making one. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, Conflict is a, a little, it's a bit of a cooler series, but it definitely tries to kind of follow the footsteps of Call of Duty and others. But um, yeah, let me, yeah. Uh, why don't I dive into it, Neil? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Um, So I already gave the background a little bit. And this is obviously different than Call of Duty and Medal of Honor, which were all first person military games. This one is more of a third person tactical shooter series. Yep. Um, Quite a bit different. And it had five games total, but only two were on uh, GameCube. That's right. And so to start it off, uh, Conflict Desert Storm released in 03. But before that, uh, there was a the uh, so the game developer who made this Pivotal Games. um, They are a British game developer. Uh, they only made conflict games, and they made The Great Escape, the movie, the game, <laughs> uh, the old <laughs> 60s forget? movie that they made into a game for whatever reason. That was weird, but um, okay. kind of interesting backstory. Uh, Jim Bambra, who was the CEO, uh, super into the Dungeons & Dragons uh, books. He actually wrote a lot of books and contributed a lot to the early kind of software development of Dungeons & Dragons games and spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually co-developed the Star Wars role-playing game. Uh, which is part of the Dungeons and Dragons kind of umbrella. Oh wow! Is, yeah, very cool. He neat little fact. Also did the Warhammer books, so all those kind of role playing games he helped develop and do some of the books for. Um, but so he was the CEO founder for Pivotal Games, and they came from Pumpkin Studios, which is a great name. Yeah. <laughs> and Pumpkin Studios were owned by Eidos uh, wow. until they shut them down in 2000, and they made all the Warzone games. Okay, I've seen those games in stores before. I never touched them with a ten foot pole. Neither uh, have I. But those uh, are more yeah. are, are those more real time strategy games, the War Zones. I'm I believe so. Yes, yeah. I think that's where because he was a real like he was a kind of a right RTS person anyway. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. So uh, after they uh, 
created their own company. They made it. They made all five conflict games, as you said already. And then in 2008, they went under because of financial troubles, um, and that was it. So they just made those. Uh, so they really um, kind of devoted their time to these conflict games, and the franchise itself is has actually surprisingly sold six more than six million units. Wow. So yeah. like maybe one point two million per game then on average. It's like it's better than Not Pikmin. Bad. Yeah, it's better than Pikmin. <laughs> well, it doesn't take much. <laughs> but it just—it just—it's funny when you hear numbers like that, and you're like, "Yeah, I guess like that's that's actually really good for for a game like this." So it's um, good. It's good, but then when you think about how many platforms it's on, it starts to sound I know. worse. Yeah. yeah, that's the problem. Like 1.2 sounds great, but then when you find out that it's also on PS2, Xbox, GameCube, mobile phone, it spreads it out so thin that it's not worth the it's not worth the effort anymore. No, yeah, it, it did make its money, and like we said at the top of the show, there that military shooters every week there was a new one coming out. There still are military shooters coming out on a weekly basis. Just games based on a war. Usually it's World War II, but now Vietnam is probably going to pick up some popularity. This one being the Gulf War in the '90s. Um, but yeah, co- uh, Conflict Desert Storm on PS2 at least, as of July 2006, had sold 800,000 copies of that average. Which, um, to put it into perspective, earned twenty four million dollars in the U.S. alone. So, okay. yeah, not a not a small no at bat. Like that, that's pretty decent. And these games don't look too expensive to make. Um, no, and so I guess like to actually get into the game itself, it mm-hmm. it um, it's yeah third person. It's much more tactical than a Call of Duty or a Medal of Honor. Uh, there's a lot more strategy around the actual gameplay, uh, and. Uh, one cool thing is that you can enlist as a British Armed Forces or a U.S. Um, Delta Force, I think it's called. Um, and so each soldier in your squad kind of have a, has a unique like uh, ability, uh, and you kind of you can switch between them. Uh, it also has a lot of different vehicles and like very specific and like licensed vehicles. Like it actually has like all the names. It has like um like the M2 Bradley fighting vehicle. So it has all these things that are. Like all clearly licensed by the American military, which I thought wow. was pretty cool. They they definitely put a lot of effort into to making this as real as they they can really. Um, mm-hmm. And so yeah, it takes place during the Gulf War. Gulf War very. This is Mike's Mike's quiz, quick history lesson here. <laughs> Happened in 1990. U.S. invaded Iraq because Iraq invaded Kuwait, and they were like, "Stop doing that! Don't invade <laughs> Kuwait and take their stuff." And that was when Saddam Hussein was like, no, I'm going to do it anyways. And so then the U.S. with a coalition force invaded and they uh, basically brought down the regime and or brought or stopped them from from um, from taking over and pushed them back into Iraq. And it was a pretty quick conflict, but there's a lot of interesting missions that happen. So you often get a lot of, I guess, games and other things, especially nowadays, it seems mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot more. Uh, kind of info into kind of what was going on at the time uh and obviously this is kind of being overshadowed a bit by the second gulf war which is when bush jr uh invaded so right uh, yeah i guess this is kind of a topic that I've, I've always battled with and i've always kind of felt weird about military video games like just gamifying honestly hell for some people uh it's just a weird idea like i don't know how i feel about it like I don't find it entertainment the same way I find playing a Spider-Man game entertaining. Like I, I kind of put myself in the shoes of what it would have been like to have been a soldier in, in this case, 1990 or with Medal of Honor in World War II and just how I would have reacted. And I don't know. It's just, it just feels like a very strange idea that these people 
almost 100 years ago now were fighting in other countries, dying for, for freedom and everything. And now, years later, people are playing on their TVs at home, uh, drunk online on a Friday <laughs> night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a totally like fair point to take. And I think especially with the conflict series, um, because it's kind of, you know, this was released in 2003 when the, the second Iraq war was happening. Uh, and yeah. the fact that you're kind of going back to that same place, uh, in this game feels very, I don't know. It feels very risky that they did this. Um, because I don't know of, maybe you can correct me, uh, here, uh, Neil, but I don't know of any other major games, uh, that came out, uh, around this time that were about like the Iraq uh, war or just in that, location no i can't think of any like i'm thinking for some reason what comes to mind is socom on ps2 that was yeah. a that was a lot more of a modern style of video game but I think. see all those ones were, were were much more ambiguous though yeah you know like everything was very like you know it's like oh the russians are, are maybe spying on us or something right. but it, it was it was never like the the conflict series is very specific like the missions mm -hmm. are specific the people that you play as some of them are real people um yeah. the like the uh, the different, yeah, like like I said, the vehicles are are all specific real vehicles that they use in this this invasion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it does feel almost like, almost like invasive, you know. Yeah, there, there's another great game on uh, PlayStation Three and Xbox Three Sixty called Spec Ops: The Line, which is based yes. on Heart of Darkness. That that yes. also kind of comes to mind to me. That's a really fun game. Well, not fun. It's a very good military shooter. Uh, it it doesn't have a great name. It sound it looks like a bro shooter when you're looking at the cover. It sounds like a bro shooter based on the name, but it's actually a very much like a psychological. It's got the psychological effects of war in it. Yeah. Uh, so it gets a little bit deeper than just like a Call of Duty game where you mow down hundreds of soldiers. You're basically <laughs> a mass murderer in those games. <laughs> and there's basically no consequence. You're a hero at the end of it. Whereas uh, Spec Ops: The Line, you see the uh, psychological effects of war on the soldiers. Um, but with Call of Duty games and even to a point Medal of Honor at a certain point, they, they got up to m modern warfare games where you were playing you were playing video games based on wars that were happening at that time, which was yeah. very like World War II shooter games when they were coming out in, in 1999 and then the early 2000s. We were, what, 60 years removed almost from World War II. And yeah. So there's a little bit of that disconnect. There and that were, genre has always been like World War II not necessarily shooters, but just like World War II, uh, you know, tactical games mm -hmm. and and all kinds of, and role-playing role games too. Like you see that constantly still, but that's always been something that's been part of just uh, that world. Pop culture too. Like like yeah. almost as soon as World War II ended, there were movies coming out about it. They're, <laughs> they still make movies based on the oh, World of course. Wars. Because so it, there's a billion things you can talk about with it, right? I know. It's just such a marketable war, unfortunately. It's just such a shame, but uh no, yeah, the Conflict series, looking at it graphically, it doesn't look as strong as its counterparts at the time either. Like, no, and they definitely didn't focus on graphics for this one no. because it because it was so tactical. Mm -hmm. I guess that was the uh, the draw of it. One thing that always bothered me with these some of these shooter games, uh, Star Wars Battlefront less so because it makes sense, but sometimes when you shoot a gun, it looks like you're firing a laser gun because the bullets, <laughs> that's just how they render them. It's like they're like a laser beam when you're firing, and it just kind of took me out of it sometimes. And this was one of those games where when you shoot at somebody, you kind of see the trajectory of the bullet, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of weird. Like it's not realistic enough for me, I guess. But One thing I really did like about the game, just watching videos and, and reading about it, uh, doing some research on it is that if one of your patrol members is killed um they'll be replaced by a new member mm -hmm. uh but this member will be a rookie soldier and so doesn't possess the same skills and you have to kind of build them up as you go go along to get oh, them like, back to there i like that that's kind of yeah. a cool idea yeah so it's like you're getting a new recruit yeah that makes yeah. sense again this was this is like i'd say this is probably the most realistic shooter 
in terms of just like how to tactically plan, um, you know, invasions and how to tactically plan like a, a combat uh, than any other shooter that I've ever seen. So there was like permadeath almost kind of like in like Fire Emblem or uh, just a tactical RPG like that where yeah, when a yep. player dies, they're dead. And then you have to start with a young guy again. Honestly, it, cool. it's it's comparable to Fire Emblem. I was I actually had that in my notes. Uh, that cool. it, it's it's got a bit of that, um, especially because like, you do kind of get attached a little bit to these, some of these characters uh, mm-hmm. because they all do have unique names. It's not just like, you know, guy one. Got right. <laughs> yeah. Soldier Bro, three. Johnson shooter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But um, and then the last thing I want to say about the first one is the multiplayer in it, specifically for GameCube, is really, really good because the PlayStation Two um, version does not allow for for four player co op. I was gonna uh, say, yeah, GameCube always had the four player co op. Was did PlayStation yeah. have? Did you just find if that has the online in PlayStation? It does, and and actually the online for it was was for specifically for the first one. Uh, a lot of people played that uh, until um, I think until they shut the servers down. But it was it was very um, very notable, I guess, at the time. Cool, yeah, one to four players. That's that that's great. Um, yeah, it's the same thing with the Medal of Honor games, which we'll get into later. The multiplayer yeah. was a lot like just I feel like James Bond set the stage for multiplayer for this generation. Basically, oh, if you definitely. could do what Goldeneye did in any of your games, you were gold. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> Shall we read the back of the case before we move on? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. All Americans pledge allegiance. A select few show it. Clear the sand from your weapon and keep out of sight. You are officially in the middle of the most heart-stopping, realistic, tactical action experience ever created. Battle your way through the Gulf War as the elite U.S. Delta Force or British SAS. From the in-depth artificial intelligence of your enemies to the amazingly realistic environments, this one's got it all. Welcome to Desert Storm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a pretty accurate back of the box, to be fair. Yeah. And yeah, they have the British uh, uh, stuff, I'm assuming, because it's a British developer. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool that you could pick between U.S. and British. I, I like that. That's mm-hmm. very neat. Uh, and yeah, artificial intelligence, the AI of enemies was definitely, this was when it was starting to increase in popularity where people wanted smarter enemies, not just guys that shot in your direction, which is <laughs> yeah. what it was on the N64. Um, yeah. But yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on to uh, Conflict Desert Storm 2, Back to Baghdad, which was released on January 6, 2004. It's one of the best subtitles ever. (laughs) Uh, Also uh, developed by Pivotal Games and published by Gotham Games. Also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Windows. No mobile version this time, I noticed. Uh, Rates around 3 out of 5. This one a little bit more expensive, $75. Yeah, yeah. So when I first saw the subtitle to this, I thought, oh, wow, like, are they going to do like the current Iraq war, you know, mm. at, that, at that time, like the 2003 Iraq war, because this is back to Baghdad. So I'm like, Oh, like it's like going back, but no, it's still, it still takes place in the, uh, in the first Gulf war. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's very similar, obviously just kind of augments everything else that was going on in the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I honestly didn't find like a massive amount of, of different information on this one, other than just uh, it got, relatively uh the same reviews uh metacritic has it at a 73 where the first one has a 65 so 
they gave it better reviews. It kind of has a little bit better graphics. Looks like everything got improved a little bit. Uh, a lot of people said that they did really enjoy the um, the GameCube version with because of the uh, because of the triggers, right? Uh, and the, obviously, as we've talked about before, we love those love those rounded triggers. Mm. And yeah, to say that to, again, the GameCube version for both of these got considerably higher reviews than the rest of the consoles. So. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get. I again, I didn't find much inform, information on this game either. There's not much on these two games. They were very much under the radar shooters for the time, just because of Medal of Honor and Call of Duty. This was January 2004. Call of Duty, the first game, was already out at this point, and Medal of Honor was starting to wane in popularity, while the other one was starting to boost up as well. EA was also starting to come out with Battlefield. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there was also Star Wars Battlefront. There was just too much. Uh, it was definitely like a bubble that burst, and the mid 2000s was when we started to see that um glad to see that they both uh reviewed so well on gamecube though compared to the playstation 2 and xbox counterpart mike you, you did most of the research on these games over me did did any of these two games sort of spark any interest in wanting to pick either of them up if you do happen to find them or do you think these are probably like a skip uh i think for me i don't think i would get them uh i i, I really like the i i like how far they went with the realism like they they didn't go they didn't half-ass it for sure they mm-hmm. they really tried their best to to make this into a, a really well-rounded tactical shooter um, that does definitely have its problems because it is a bit linear and it's there's only so much you can do and there's I feel like if you're just a casual fan of shooters this would not be for you but yeah. um, if you are into kind of the history and uh, as well as just like the the whole almost RPG element of of these war games, then it, it definitely is a, an easy pickup. And also, uh, you can buy it on Steam for seven dollars today. So, oh wow, uh, yeah, for for either of them. So I would, if you're gonna pick them up, I would say just pick them up on Steam for seven dollars. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend spending fifty to seventy five dollars on these games. I think you can definitely find a better experience elsewhere and apparently mm-hmm. steam is the place to go so that's a good yeah. tip I, they definitely do they definitely do justice for to what fans of this genre would want so that's that's the best praise i can give them cool it's just unfortunate that i think that it's a very specialized market and that's why they probably had to stop making them was because it wasn't as accessible to the vast market the grand yeah they, i mean they still did make you know still did sell six million units which is again sure. pretty good but uh yeah. it also doesn't help when the um uh your company just gets shut down so yeah yeah that does kind of close the books on your franchises pretty fast i guess all right i guess we'll read the back of the cases here and move on to medal of honor sounds good all right from the smoke and fire of the gulf war four heroes return to finish the job they started your elite operatives will be sent into the most intense combat yet as they take on the iraqi regime regimes chemical arms secret weapons and hidden arsenals which continue to threaten the gulf lock and load and get ready to go loud Nice. Not as good a back of the case of the compared to the first one. No, first one was way better. First one like literally told you exactly what's going on. Like if I read it, I'd be like, oh, okay, I know what this game is. Yeah, the first one sounds like the developers wrote it. The second one sounds like marketers wrote it. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Metal Hunter Frontline was released on November seventh, two thousand two. Developed by EA Los Angeles, published by EA Games. It's also on PS two and Xbox. Rates about a four out of five stars. And uh, if you wanted to pick it up today, it's around fifteen bucks. Metal of Honor: Rising Sun was released on November eleventh, two thousand three. Also developed by EA Los Angeles, published by EA Games, and it's also on PS two and Xbox. Rates a little bit lower, three out of five. If you wanted to pick it up today, it's around twelve bucks. And then finally, we of course have Medal of Honor European Assault was released on June 7th, 2005. 
developed by EA Los Angeles again, published by EA Games. Uh, it's also on PS2 and Xbox, rates at around 4 out of 5, and priced a little more expensive, 20 bucks. All right, so joining us today is our lovely friend Josh from the Still Loading Podcast. And uh, Josh, I do have one question before we start diving into Medal of Honor. Did you wear camo to school? Were you that kid? I was not that kid, but I totally wanted to be that kid. <laughs> I, I, uh, I was really obsessed with World War II, which is a weird thing to say, I guess. Like, you know, you think about it if someone's obsessed with war, but I was fascinated by the history of it. Yes. And yeah. I actually would go to this thing called World War, World War II Weekend. And it was because uh, I live around the Philly area, and this is a couple hours uh, west of there at a, at a airport in Reading, which is another city. I don't know why I'm being so specific, but <laughs> there was uh, this thing called World War II Weekend, and it was essentially like a convention for World War II fans. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was an air show, so they had you know the old airplanes like B fifty two bombers and Spitfires wow. and all that other stuff. They would have reenactments, and then they would have actual vets like once band of brothers became huge they actually had the actual band of brothers like the original soldiers the surviving ones at mm -hmm. least there and i actually have a picture of them autographed by a bunch of them wow that's really Whoa. cool that's amazing that's actually a show that this week i've been doing a ton of medal of honor research obviously for the show and just i ended mm -hmm. up on netflix there's a program called medal of honor which i ended up on watching <laughs> that and now band of brothers is at like the top of my list of things to watch i can't wait i've never seen it uh i, I love saving private ryan that's one of my favorite movies and uh just to know that uh, steven spielberg it's it's his show right band of brothers did he direct Tom that one too? Hanks, I think, is the executive producer of that one i don't and i think spielberg was involved but i he didn't I don't think he directed any, but I, I honestly okay. don't know off the top of my head. I'm actually Googling it right now. <laughs> okay. For, for some reason, I thought he was involved yeah. in it somehow. I just couldn't remember in what way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know which, but yeah, it, I Band of Brothers was awesome. I love Sam Private Ryan. I was just, a, I was just very into World War II. I loved the the the, the, the uniforms. Mm -hmm. I, I actually have like a World War II helmet. I don't know if it's authentic or not. Like, I don't think it was like worn during the war, mm -hmm. but it looks like something that you would have seen at that time. It smells That's like cool. something you would have seen at that time. <laughs> uh, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. No, I mean, Steven Spielberg is just an absolute uh, just genius when it comes to directing movies and Saving Private Ryan being one of the best World War II movies of all time. And then having him being connected to the Medal of Honor series so intimately, which I only found out about this week. I had no idea that Steven Spielberg, while directing Save It Private Ryan and his kids were really into 007 Goldeneye on the N64, he wanted to make a... Uh, a World War II game that would be accessible to kids since his movie was going to be rated R. So that's why he decided to go to his studio, DreamWorks Interactive, to develop Medal of Honor, the first one, which was in 1999, on the PlayStation 1, to become sort of like this avenue for children, or at least younger kids, to get into World War II history in a way that was historically somewhat accurate while not being offensive to veterans, too. It's, it's just so cool how intertwined those two things were, which I had no idea until now. Yeah, I, I honestly never knew about, like, the Steven Spielberg uh, connection until I started researching as well. 
And I was like, oh, wow, like, this is cool. Like, it was basically, like, the basic idea was that it was going to be, like, a Saving Private Ryan movie tie-in, almost. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, could could have gone terribly. Uh, (laughs) And uh, especially for a lot of these games that were just coming out in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, graphics weren't 100% there. Uh, Combat really wasn't 100% there, especially for consoles. Uh, Really, you only had good shooters, I mean, other than GoldenEye, on on the PC uh, Mm -hmm. at this point in time. So... Uh, it was a pretty big risk to to you know push Medal of Honor at, at the time, but uh, I mean I think it paid off amazingly. Yeah, agreed. Something that was also cool about the Medal of Honor series. Now this is prior to the ones you guys are talking about with Frontline, uh, Pacific, not Pacific Assault. I'm sorry, um, Rising Sun yeah. and European Assault. Uh, but in the original one, the, the game was super groundbreaking because it was the first time you would see AI like that enemy AI that would behave in a specific way. So if you threw a grenade, it would actually cook, they would kick the grenade back at you or some of them would dive on the grenade to protect their fellow soldiers from the grenades blast. Uh, they would also like walk around and smoke and kind of have like their own little lives that you could just like walk in and unfortunately murder all of them. (laughs) I mean, they were German and nazis so i guess it's not shouldn't be that unfortunate but <laughs> yeah yeah that was really neat but, and ahead of its time even i think in the sequel whether the second one medal of honor uh, underground they had the mm-hmm. the german shepherd dogs that like if you threw a grenade again the dogs would bring it back to you as if they were playing fetch which is just like <laughs> such an interesting concept where um i think mike and i were talking about before you came on josh about goldeneye and how that game was good like the ai was okay that the, the the enemies would kind of dodge occasionally, but it was more just like sidestepping and then they would shoot in your general area. They're really You really couldn't see any sort of life in the character. It was more of just a mm-hmm. pattern that the characters had that you could learn and then learn the levels around. But yeah, way, way ahead of its time for the technological advancement of the PS1. Like it had its limitations, of course, but then there was the PlayStation, uh, sorry, the... Uh, the PC version of uh, Allied Assault, which was considered, I guess, amongst most Medal of Honor fans, that was pretty much the peak of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been looking for a copy of that now on uh, online. Now I, I'd love to play Allied Assault. Just looking at the the game of it, like it looks like Medal of Honor Frontline, just the PC version. It's prettier and uh, slightly different levels. Have you played Allied? You've, you said you've played them all. I'm guessing you have. You also played Allied mm-hmm. Assault. I did not beat all of its all of its expansions, but I have played Allied Assault, and Allied Assault was, um, I believe, a lot of that team was the same team who went on to become uh, Infinity Ward, which ended up making Call of Duty. Yeah, so how the story goes is DreamWorks Interactive was making Medal of Honor games, doing a pretty good job of it, obviously. EA was publishing it until eventually EA purchased DreamWorks Interactive, as they do. They swallowed up this development company. They named them EA Los Angeles. Um, mm-hmm. the developers on EA Los Angeles now left because they didn't want to be a part of Electronic Arts. And then they developed Infinity Ward, which then uh, made Medal of Honor, or made Call of Duty, which then devoured Medal of Honor. So uh, mm-hmm. that's why Allied Assault is so good. And then that's why I think the first Medal, uh, the first Call of Duty game that Infinity Ward made was, was it Modern Warfare? Or it was the one that no, blew I mean, up. Well- Technically, technically, they worked on. I believe I. You know what? I should really double check on this so that I could be wrong on, from my recollection. But I believe they did all of the Call of Duties up to like, uh, like from one through four. I believe okay. they developed all of them because that was back nice. before they were coming out annually. Mm-hmm. That was back right. before it became this blockbuster thing that there would be a new Call of Duty every year. So they had to cycle studios. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like. 
Call of Duty, what it did differently than Medal of Honor is that it focused on like three different characters that you could kind of like weave their stories in and out. Like it, they didn't even necessarily intersect, but you would tell like a Russian, you tell a story of a Russian soldier and you would follow him through the Russian campaign. Right. And then you would tell a story of an American soldier and so on and so forth. Um, with Call of, or sorry, excuse me, Medal of Honor, it was always something where it was a single player narrative, very linear. Yes. That you would also, you were kind of, it starts off with some type of battle, some mm-hmm. type of major World War II event, and then it would kind of pl- have you play through this secret operation to some, get some type of German intelligence. There's always some German intelligence operation that you had to do, like the Germans are developing this and you got to stop them. Yeah, and right. then they would have you play through the campaign to get to that, but they would weave in actual historical events around the campaign like in frontline specifically you start off with d-day mm-hmm. and you end up getting all the way up through arnhem which was one of the uh really bloody drops in i believe it was operation market garden which happened after d-day but allied assault i so not allied assault i'm sorry but frontline mm-hmm. i first f- kind of discovered frontline through the playstation 2 demo disc so i didn't play it like once again like uh, my previous appearance i said i played a lot of ps2 so mm-hmm. while there's obviously crossover i played a lot of these games on the ps2 but i remember first experiencing this on a playstation 2 demo disc that my uncle had because my uncle was the first one to get a playstation 2 in like any you know i was too young none of my friends really had one right. uh and he got one at launch they had a ps2 demo disc and i still remember the the mission that the demo chose, I believe, was the mission after the D Day levels. Uh, so it's the very next it's the very next area. You're kind of working your way in inland through some of the German occupied towns that the paratroopers dropped into. Right. And I remember playing it and being like, graphics will never get better. <laughs> it is impossible. Yeah. There's no way these guys look real. And now these guys look like insanely cartoonish and awful. Yeah. I don't think the graphics for frontline holds up for very well or the, the PS2 GameCube Xbox Air. I don't think these graphics specifically from this game hold up very well. They they don't. I think you're right. I started off playing Frontline this week. I started off on my HD, my my high res TV, and I plugged the GameCube into that to try and play it. It's very dark on a high def TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it de- and it, the frame skips so horribly. And I played the D Day opening scene, and it was it was rough. Like I remember playing it as a kid. I got it for Christmas along with Nightfire. And on New Year's Eve, we played Frontline uh, instead, just playing the D-Day level, almost on repeat. We just kept playing that level over and over again because it was just so amazing. It's so but yeah, good. I tried to play it on my HD TV. It's amazing, dude. It's so good. But uh, yeah, you try and play it on a new TV now, and it, it doesn't look great. But if you put it into an old CRT TV, it actually still looks pretty smooth. That That's what I ended up doing. So I put it onto my, my little CRT TV in my basement and was playing that for a few hours. And I was playing the level I think you were talking about where you're uh, going through the villages in France that are occupied by your paratroopers. Kind of actually like in Saving Private Ryan again at the last scene of the movie where they're on that bridge with the tank. There's actually a tank on the, the stone bridge there in that level too. Um, it, uh, playing through that level looked pretty sharp. You could see the enemies well from a far off distance. Um, but yeah, uh, age is okay if you're playing it on an older TV. There's also a way to play Frontline on play on the PSN. I think on PS3, it was re-released with Medal of Honor in, in 2010. I, I didn't pick that game up because yes. by then Medal of Honor was so far from my mind. Yep. <laughs> but you can play it that way too. 
I, I actually do have that copy as well. I have a soft spot for the series in general. The only one that I don't own is the one that just came out a couple months ago. They, oh, the VR. They released a VR yeah. one. Yeah. And I refuse to buy Oculus on principle since you have to use your Facebook account to sign into it, which I'm just not here for. No. I, I don't I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but what I loved about the series in general was it was the one of the first sound one of the first game soundtracks that I took notice of yeah. at it from a young age and i don't consider myself the most uh observant especially when i'm like absorbing media a lot of times with when i'm absorbing media like everyone else will see foreshadowing in a story and i'm the guy that's like oh i didn't see that yeah, me too are you how did how did how are you guys wizards like how did you predict <laughs> that and i was always just the person that just kind of like let it wash over me like i don't i don't want to think about it i just wanted to i just want to let it happen but the dude who composed this is michael giacchino who ended up composing for all the pixar movies right. or a lot oh. of the pixar movies yep. he did up he did ratatouille he i think he did most recently i don't think he did soul but he might have done coco he did I don't yeah know. coco he did seven pixar films and yeah coco up yeah. or to ratatouille the incredibles three. and he also did uh star wars rogue one the, the that mm-hmm. movie too he did the incredibles too yeah like you said star uh, spider-man far from home so yeah he, this is like a real movie uh composer that was doing the music for these games and you're right they completely stand out he did them all the way up until uh, Allied Assault on PS uh, on t- in 2002. So from 1999 to 2002, he was doing the soundtrack, and I think he might have also done Frontline because the the uh, music in Frontline, he did do Frontline. yeah, Frontline That's... music is really good. Well, like he he did it before he did this before he was a famous film right. composer. Mm-hmm. This I I don't know if this is for certain. I actually so I interviewed a guy on my podcast named Chad Sider who was one of his assistants, not I shouldn't say assistants, but basically one of his right-hand men during all of his work in Pixar. So this guy worked with Michael Giacchino through all of that. And he uh, he was super nice when I when I interviewed him. I asked him, like, is there any questions you don't want me to ask? He's like, just don't ask about Michael Giacchino. I get that all the time. I'm like, I totally get <laughs> it. I get it. Like, yeah. I'm here to interview you, not interview you about Michael yeah. Giacchino. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that that game, if I remember correctly from the interview I'd, or from when we were talking, he said that, like, the work on Medal of Honor is what helped him get noticed because it was just so strong. I know I'm, I'm trying to remember they, they reuse a lot of his stuff. Like he, cause right after he did frontline, Christopher Leonard's took over and did, I believe rising sun and European assault. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You are right. Like the frontline music, like, so I haven't played medal of honor games probably in 15 years, at least mm-hmm. uh, I did play them a lot as a kid, especially I mean, Neil, we're talking about this before you came on i can't i still can't remember which game i played a ton of if it was frontline or european assault because a lot of the missions kind of blend together because they are quite similar um and i again 12 year old mike doesn't remember <laughs> a lot of stuff i just he just remembers shooting nazis but um and but i do uh, when i when i watched gameplay again i i did remember the music i was like yeah this is like especially for frontline it was it was really dramatic and it did feel very cinematic at a time when games were not trying to do that at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Music aside as well, the sound design of just the guns and the trucks and the tanks and the explosions all sounded incredible too. Like the guns had different sounds yeah. of the click yeah. and of the fire and of the reload sounds. Like it sounded like there was actual weight to the gun as yeah. opposed to Goldeneye, which was very, the sound just sounded too fluid. It didn't sound like the guns were actually there. 
the sound design, like if, if you're just closing your eyes and listening to what's going on, it sounds like they actually set up a microphone like on the beaches of Normandy and then yeah. played it for the video game. It sounded like you were actually staring down the sights of a machine gun while you're running up a beach. And that's on a GameCube. And I, I was lucky enough to go to Normandy when I was uh, in high school. I got to, really? yeah, I got to visit the beaches. I got to visit, uh, you know, a lot of the grave sites, do the trenches. Uh, it was like a World War kind of um, history trip uh, that I was uh, very lucky to go on for school. Fourteen-year-old Josh is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the because we went to Juno Beach because we are Canadians and so that's our beach mm-hmm. uh, that we landed yeah, at. Yeah. Um, and so it was obviously yeah, very cool to to see everything and um, uh, watching Medal of Honor gameplay again. You know, for this week getting ready, I was like, wow, like they really they really nailed it. Like in terms of uh, of of what everything looks like, uh, uh, they they put a lot of time and effort into this and. I remember the Call of Duty games maybe more than the Medal of Honor games. And I think Medal of Honor really, you can see that there is so much more love put into these games and making sure things were accurate uh, and making sure mm-hmm. things were like, uh, yeah, historical, really. Uh, like I love the way that the cutscenes work, um, you know, when they show all the real footage of everything. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah. It, like, it feels like, it, it, I don't know, it just, for me, the Medal of Honor series uh, at this point of time felt very... Uh, encapsulating of just that whole period it was very much made to honor the sacrifices of the veterans who you know who whether they survived or not but they they still sacrificed whether it was with their lives or with their mental health Mm -hmm. and obviously physical well-being to you know to kind of liberate to liberate france and it's the the whole series in general always does that they always try to give this historical bend on it and they also don't take any of they also don't overdo it like it's that that focus on historical accuracy doesn't ever sacrifice from their advancements in terms of gameplay because yeah. if you look at like Rising Sun one of the big differences was with the enemy AI like the Japanese soldiers they have a lot they have a tendency that they will charge you mm. so where the German soldiers when you run up to them they're going to back they're going to melee you and back up versus the Japanese soldiers if you get too close they go it and then they just charge you with their bayonets. <laughs> That's why, which is what, then, which is what happened mm-hmm. in, in, you mm-hmm. know, in real life. Right? And it, some of them attack you with swords. Like the, there's some dudes that would in the game, and I would assume obviously in real life, then that would attack you with these samurai swords, and it was terrifying because yeah. they start screaming and it came out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, and then in European assault, they completely changed the formula of the game in Medal of Honor Frontline and. Uh, and uh, why can't I keep wanting to say Pacific Assault that Rising Sun Pacific Assault was, that was the other Japanese theater game that was a PC correct. release. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but European Assault changed the formula because in the original two with Rising Sun and Frontline, it was a linear game. You would start from point A, go to point B, fight some Nazis along the yep. way. In European Assault, they kind of drop you into a battlefield and give you five or six different objectives that you can complete in any order that you want. Right. That's super cool. I mean, like the console versions, it seems like that there was a steady up and steady decline, but with a few ups and downs after 2002, like after Frontline, it was very divisive, the franchise, uh, for several years mm-hmm. up until, what was it, 2013, they took a bit of a hiatus, uh, came back this year, last year of 2020. Um, there were also a bunch of handheld games, which I played the PSP uh, Medal of Honor Heroes, which I loved when I was a kid. I haven't gone back to it, so I'm not quite sure how well it ages. But I also learned this week that there were Medal of Honor games on Game Boy Advance, which looked really strange. Yes. Did you play those ones? The, I ha- I've played 
I've tinkered with both of them and haven't really given them a real solid try. Mm-hmm. But there's an original one, and then there's a port. So Infilt- Metal of Honor Infiltrator is a top-down shooter. Right. It's very much like a 16-bit. Um, kind of think of it like it's not quite Contra. Contra is side-scrolling, but... Uh, think of it kind of like Commando or something like that on the NES, okay. where it's it's top down and you're running up instead of it's side scrolling left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then one of the stranger ones is they ported Medal of Honor Underground, the PlayStation One game, to the Game Boy Advance, and it's fully 3D. It's a it's an FPS oh. on your GBA. It's kind of in the same veins of same vein as night wasn't nightfire yep. like i know they ported it but was it first person or did they completely change first, the person, first person first person straight up it's on my list of I game don't. boy games to find and i cannot find it anywhere it's really hard to find oh, i love it. i i you're gonna hate me i have a complete inbox <sighs> version of it wow how many of those are in print like i can never find them anywhere it's like did the only 10 get made i can't i can never find that i have no idea it just it, it's there's a strange wow. Grouping of games on the Game Boy Advance where there are FPS games on the Game Boy Advance that should not be yeah. on the Game Boy Advance. It just it doesn't work. Like the Nintendo no. could barely get Doom to run on a Super Nintendo, and they could barely get it to run on a Super Nintendo and a Sega to get it to run on a Genesis. Mm-hmm. They got it to work, but obviously some concessions had to be made. And also you could upgrade the the memory on a cart on a cartridge. The Game Boy Advance, I mean, I guess they could have done that for that too, but it just, these games don't work on a D-pad. No. Like, they just don't. <laughs> and it, specifically in Underground, I remember Tink, like trying it out just to see what it was like. The textures are so messed up <laughs> where when you're farther away from a wall, say you have a wall and the texture on the wall is it's supposed to be like arches, like archways. Mm-hmm. And so you can see it's just a picture of archways on this like flat, polygon wall right and as you get closer those arches expand those arches expand i understand like logically you're like oh you're they're closer to it so they're going to appear bigger but what happens is that you can still see most of the wall so what happens is you might see six or seven trusses of the archway and as you get closer those trusses just disappear from the wall (laughs) so you might only have you'll be right up next to it and even though you can still see the whole wall by just by turning the camera there's only two trusses now but when you back away now, they're all of a sudden there's six. So it's this really strange algorithm they use to, I guess, give a sense of scale, and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. No, first-person shooters on the Game Boy Advance are such a weird... I can't believe they exist. Whenever I find one, it's just such a weird <laughs> thing. It's like the, there should be no first-person shooters on the Game Boy Advance. But that's why when I finally got my PSP, it was such a such a mind-breaking experience to finally go from a Game Boy Advance console, which, you know, 2D games worked very well on it, but yeah. then you finally had this console experience on the go, and Medal of Honor, which I loved on Game GameCube, my parents got it for me on PSP, and I played it on Christmas Day, and they were like, what the hell is going on in there? Like, they're just hearing, like, bombs going off and people <laughs> screaming, because the sound was just as good on the PSP yeah, as it was, it was on the GameCube. Even when the the series came back and it still was nowhere near as popular as Call of Duty, I'm, when I say came back, when they the decided to go version. the 2010 Medal of Honor, yeah, when they went modern, the one thing that it was praised across the board by critics was sound design. So it really seems like from the get-go, this series has always like focused on the sound design of 
the series yeah. like of the game like they they really take their time to record the audio of all the different weapons that they use and try to create ample effects like i still remember in frontline when you are storming normandy normandy beach and they blow up the one section with the uh with the, the barbed wire i can't think of what the not yeah they blow up the barbed wire i forget what the weapon is that they use mm-hmm. though but you know you go through the moment you cross over that 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 uh that pass sorry let me say that again mm-hmm. the moment you cross through that hole in the barbed wire the sound completely changes for the machine guns because now you're closer and there's it's almost like it's doubled up because now the machine guns that are not inside the bunkers that are just kind of in the sandbag encampments along the ridge mm-hmm. now they're adding to the fire too so you're getting this extra layer mm-hmm. of sound and it works really well because it makes it that much more intense as you cross through that that gap that hole in the barbed wire it makes you that much more nervous because now all of a sudden you're getting shot at like six times more often and the the volume and the sound uh, accounts for that. I felt like they put a lot of effort into the weapon sound, but then when there are, you know, guns going off and machine guns firing, when you're talking or yelling to your your comrades there, it didn't <laughs> yeah. work. It didn't work yeah. as well. You yeah. can't hear them properly. Patterson. Yeah, that's all you hear is Patterson. And then Patterson. like they're yelling something Patterson. at you. And then as soon as they're done yelling, you have to check your objectives to see what they told you to do. Because <laughs> it's yep. like nothing got through. And yep. I don't think there's an option for subtitles on Frontline. I tried. I looked, but I couldn't find it. So I wanted subtitles on to know what the heck the guy was saying. But anyway. I love the voice actors for the so in that opening mission in Frontline where you have to lay down covering fire for the four soldiers that are pinned down on the beach. Yep. Their exasperated cries, <laughs> not of pain, but like their exasperated like performances is just some of the funniest things to me. It's like, lay down some cover fire, get the hell out of here. <laughs> like their voice is just cracking all over the place. And I understand it. It's very intense. I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but just yeah. the the performance choices just makes me laugh every time. You gotta... So Frontline is like usually considered as a fantastic game and I totally agree. I love it. Um but Rising Sun, which is I guess the next game for consoles, really kind of got mixed reviews and I watching video of it, I, uh, I, I never played it before, but seeing the Pearl Harbor scene, the beginning, the intro looks unbelievable. It looks so, so good. It's awesome. And then I kind of, what I always do is I'll, I like to kind of skip to the end of games. I, I, I see the beginning, see the end always gives you a good sense of kind of what a game is about. And it, it looked like everything dipped in quality. I thought my like I, th- I thought my stream went down or something. I thought it went to like 320p or something. It, it just all of a sudden the graphics were worse. The sound was worse. It, it, I don't know what happened on the second half of that game, but uh, I did look some stuff up and apparently um, the the game was a bit rushed in terms of development and they did kind of leave a lot of that unfinished and a lot less polished at the end. I mean, it makes sense why, because the the thing with the Medal of Honor series, the the reason why Frontline sold so well was that opening D-Day scene. Mm -hmm. So obviously they they had to pull like essentially like the diehard problem where you always have to one up yourself somehow. Yeah. And like, and so then they went to Pearl Harbor. So it starts off with D-Day. They're like, well, what's another catastrophic thing that happened during World War II? Let's start with that. Yeah. Always got to one up themselves. And then, yeah. And then they get to the third, the third Medal of Honor game, European Assault, where they open with the... what is it? The Saint uh, Nazaire, Nazaire raid? Is that how you say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was kind of a little bit fictionalized because there weren't actually American soldiers at that fight. It was British, I think. Um, this I one, I did they... not know. I see. In the one that gets the worst reviews, they step away from history. 
There yeah, you go. Yeah, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, that's what I read was just that it was slightly fictionalized where it's meant to be a British attack on uh, on the Normandy dock, but they added uh, Americans, I guess, so North Americans could feel included in the fight uh, <laughs> to sell the game. Yeah, that, that seems like an American thing. No offense, Josh. <laughs> None taken. We're dumb. No, I mean, so this just kind of goes to my point with just the whole World War II shooter genre in general of the late 90s to the mid 2000s. Medal of Honor had nine, sorry, 17 games in total. Uh, 12 of those being World War II games. That doesn't include all of the uh, Call of Duty World War II games. There was the Brother in Arms series. Battlefield. Battlefield. There's just so many. I think we just... Josh, do you think that there was some kind of a World War II fatigue? Because if you look up on Wikipedia, just oh, World, War, World War II video games, hundreds and hundreds <laughs> of games. And especially in that period. Like that, that, was, that was... Because I think in that period, uh, developers figured that graphics had reached this peak now. Like, like you said, it's like graphics are never going to any going to get any better. We have it. We have the technology. We can make these games and pump them out. I also think, no, it, it definitely got fatigued. And I also think the reason why they went to World War II is that when you're doing a war game, it's very hard to not be political mm-hmm. because you're yeah. always going to have like, like it. I mean, look, almost every FPS of like the mid to late 2000s, you were always killing some Arab person, yeah. which is just like now... I like I understand there is a war there was a war and well still is a war going on in the Middle East but it just kind of like once again that gets exhausting and also you run the risk of coming off as racist cuz you're only <laughs> killing brown people yeah. like it's it's pretty it can be pretty messed up yeah. with World War 2 though it's an easy target cuz you can never make a Nazi look bad enough mm-hmm. it is in like yeah. you can you can make them the most vile person in the world and you will no one will ever feel sorry for it mm-hmm. uh so you the, it's an easy scapegoat just to basically excuse the killing of thousands of people in video games yeah. because nazis are nazis so it's it was definitely an easy scapegoat and on top of that i do think that the release of saving private ryan with how good that movie is and it was how popular it was it really kind of sparked that um Renewed spark that drive in. It's not to say that, yeah, renewed interest. And it's not to say there wasn't World War II games beforehand. There's, you know, there's even like World War II fiction, like the Wolfenstein series that that came out. I mean, hell, if you really look back prior to Wolfenstein 3D, the original Wolfenstein games were 2D stealth games on PC (laughs) or Mac. I forget which, but it was an it was an indie series that that id software just bought up. Mm -hmm. So like they were there. There were there were World War Two games prior to this. But I really think that Saving Private Ryan and Medal of Honor really just kicked off a this craze of just needing World War II video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it, it definitely got saturated. It got yep. saturated. It went away for a while. Like there are obviously still probably indie World War II games like set on 2D, you know, 2D graphics. And then there's the occasional game that comes out set in World War II. Like a few years ago, we had Call of Duty World War II, which actually looked decent. I remember seeing, I'm not a Call of Duty guy. I, I played, I think the last one was World at War. I played on PC. It was probably the last Call of Duty game I really played and it was mainly the online but at E3 that year, I guess it was 2000 and was that 2018, 2017 now with Wor- something like that. World War II. I thought thinking like, man, this might actually be a, a Call of Duty game that I play. But then I, I heard the reviews came out and it wasn't all that great. And but the, again, they started with D-Day just like Frontline did. It was an opening. I, I think it mm-hmm. might have been the opening. And I watched that like a comparison of Frontline and Call of Duty World War Two, and way more gruesome and way more violent, obviously, because the power of the consoles has come so far. But it I, it didn't spark that that World War II craze that came back again like like what Medal of Honor did and 
I think we really have Medal of Honor to thank for that bubble of almost like the Guitar Hero phase of the mid-2000s that came out with all those fake instruments. (laughs) We really have Medal of Honor to thank for making all of these amazing World War II video games as well. And past that. And, and not and, so amazing ones. Yeah. <laughs> and like new and, you know, modern war games as well. Like like Medal of Honor, I would say, kind of cemented the ability to make good war games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Medal of Honor, I think the series, it just, it, it was one of the first times they ever tried to portray war in a somewhat realistic way. Yeah. The Medal of Honor series, I think it just feels like a breath of fresh air now because they, they treat everything with such a level of authenticity and almost reverence, like not necessarily revering the violence, but revering the sacrifice. Yes. And and it never really goes too far into like like what we see now in the States where it's like this almost fetishizing of, yeah. of like, uh you know, of soldiers. It's more just like an, a true reverence of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's 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 a really well done game series, all in all, even flaws and all. I always think of Medal of Honor as the shooter that I can play with my dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did that too. <laughs> well, yeah, the the developers actually went through like a boot training camp before that. While they were developing it, they showed the game off to Steven Spielberg and his his guys from the Saving Private Ryan team, mo- most notably uh, some, a military advisor by the name of Dale Die. Uh, they showed the game mm-hmm. to him, and he said, "No, you need to go back and redevelop this. This is nothing like what it's like in war." So he actually put the developers through like a quick boot camp so that they could sort of have better influence to make the levels actual, to be actually like a military shooter, which is just so, so amazing. And then when they showed mm-hmm. the game off to, they, obviously the game had problems with uh, development uh, from veterans and people who are actually Medal of Honor recipients, um, <laughs> specifically mm-hmm. a man by the name of Paul Buka. Uh, who uh, rejected the game when when he first saw it? Like he said, this game should not be made. This is a it's disrespectful for Medal of Honor uh, recipients. And the developers showed him the game and showed him that it was actually uh, very true to form, and it wasn't meant to be capitalizing on on the suffering of soldiers. It's actually meant to be telling them, telling the players the courage that this, those soldiers went through and how it's it's a very good representation of the war. He eventually actually gave it the green light and the thumbs up. And it got made. So they did go through the the hoops of getting the game made and the proper check boxes and thumbs up from everyone that mattered. So I think that that's what we saw back then, which might not be happening so much now with Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to my point, too, of just the, the reverence that they show for it. Just like you said, they got the approval from veterans to do this. And Call, Call of Duty now feels more just like let's, you know, like, like I, I don't like to use the word fetishizing because it makes it sound like it's actually sexual in nature, but <laughs> I don't mean it that way. But it's just like it's this, it's its obsession with making it like, it's this obsession with glorifying war and yeah. fighting versus glorifying the sacrifice for for what it did. And also like what I, what I do think Mel of Honor gets across is that it never makes the player feel like they want to go to war. It just kind of shows like if this stuff happens, like you should respect the people who were in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. That's some sort of, uh, and actually it, it's funny. You were talking about Dale die giving the training, like the, the little mini boot camp for the devs. I actually have a video of it. Um, oh, wow. There, I I don't know where I got this. I have a tiny little mini disc that was a promo material for Medal of Honor: Rising Sun, and on it it has a video of the of the devs going through boot camp under Dale Die, and he's like talking about it like it's a little mini doc. Oh wow! Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I'll I, send you a picture on Instagram I, afterwards. That'd be so cool. Well, Josh, um, thank you so much for coming on today. This was amazing. Is there anything else you would like to? chat about for Medal of Honor before we let you go? Not really. I, I guess the last thing I, I, well, I guess one thing to say, I just hope it doesn't 
with with the current political climate, I hope it doesn't come off as like I'm glorifying the soldiers too much. I just want to make I, I, there is a fine line between respecting what the sacrifices of the generation prior during wars and stuff like that and glorifying it to an unhealthy extent, which is kind of like, unfortunately, what we see now. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say that to bring anyone down or like turn this into anything political. I just like to clarify that because I, I, I know how the internet can be and I just don't want it to come off that way. <laughs> no, no, no. We're no. talking about the GameCube. Yeah, That's we're just we're ta- talking about game. No, I, I think that we're talking about the GameCube. We are absolutely just three guys talking about video games in this and we are in no way disrespecting the sacrifice that many men and women have fought and served for both of our countries. You know, you're from the States, we're from Canada. If you're If you're fighting for what you believe in, I think that that's totally noble and hats off to you. I mean, I always, it's so stupid, but like I put myself in the shoes of how I would be on D-Day and in my mind, I'm like, I'd be dead in two seconds. Like I wouldn't have lasted. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would have been, I would have been the first one face down. Like I, I, I would have been, <laughs> and, and if not, I would have been hiding somewhere. Like I would not have had the bravery to do what half those guys did. But yeah, anyway, Josh, why don't you let the uh, listeners out there know where they can find you and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. But it, you know, until then, where, where can the folks listen to you? Well, I'm so thankful that you guys let me come on for this. I, like I was saying before we were recording, I kind of forced myself on to talk <laughs> about Medal of Honor because I, I love the series no, so much. We appreciate it. But uh, I, I, it's, it's super nostalgic for me, even though yeah. I don't think they always hold up now. But uh, And you guys, this is actually the last podcast I'll be recording prior to me becoming a dad. So wow. this is going to be... This is a very like pre-dad, fun Josh. thing to do. Yeah, pre-dad. <laughs> pre-dad. You're going to be a fun uh, you're going to be a fun dad though, for sure. <laughs> Here, son, let's look at how all these this war killed so many people. <laughs> son or daughter, we I don't we don't know yet. Oh, okay. Ooh, oh cool. Nice. I like that. Yeah, it's a surprise. I like that. That's that's uh, I like that. So, uh, but you, uh, for your listeners, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Still Loading Pod on all of them. Uh, you can go to my website, Still Loading Con. No, that's my email, Still Loading Contact at gmail.com. Feel free to email me. <laughs> I'm just going, I literally have my whole thing of like plugs at the end, like practically memorized. <laughs> right. So it was just going into muscle memory. Still Loading Podcast.com is the website. You can check it out and you can find the podcast on, you know, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you Apple can find podcasts, us. So. Yep anywhere you can find these guys so and yeah thank you guys for having me on this was a lot of fun you're welcome and josh just did an amazing podcast with patrick hickey jr last week i was listening to it on nhl and nhl games go back and check it out you guys are so fun to listen to to talk about hockey that was a lot of, that was a pleasure i was listening to it while i was playing super blood hockey and it was just <laughs> cool it felt like i was hanging out with you guys like he'd be perfect for to host a podcast uh i'm just grateful that this is the second time he was on my podcast like uh had him on to interview him the first time and this time around it's like well let's just kind of talk about something that because it's hard to interview someone a second time mm-hmm. you know like unless there's something completely different that i could like pull an hour out of but like yeah i asked him all the questions last time and that i don't even remember what they were anymore so i'd have to go back and re-listen so i don't double down on them yeah but I, I always try to do that for like repeat guests. I always try to have like, well, instead of me interviewing you, let's like talk about a game you like or talk about something video game related that you like. Mm-hmm. So no, you guys, that's just such a nice guy. You guys sounded oh, great yeah. together. And uh, again, everyone go check it out if you haven't already. But uh, Josh, good luck this week. Congratulations on becoming a new dad. We're really looking forward to hearing how that goes. And uh, you better get them into video games at a young age. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm literally sitting in a room filled with my collection right now, and I actually have to clean it up before they get here because it is a freaking mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll let you we'll let you go clean up, and uh, good luck and have fun. All right, thanks, guys. Bye, buddy. Thank you, Josh. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. That was amazing to have Josh on again from the Still Loading podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he 
covered so much stuff for Medal of Honor that honestly, I mean, for me, I do love the series. I really have a soft spot for it, but I really don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> And because I didn't own them, um, I played them at your house and other people's house houses. And I remember my dad's friend had Medal of Honor and I played it at his house in Pender Island, British Columbia. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it's funny what you remember. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I always, always had a soft spot for those games. Yeah, they're they're fun. I, I think uh, obviously we've talked a lot about it. I think Frontline, it would be my recommendation to go back to if you had to pick one of these three games. Uh, Neil, which one of these games would you like to pick? <laughs> I think I would probably say Medal of Honor Frontline would be my pick still uh, in the five seconds that I've had to think about it. <laughs> I mean, it starts off, it starts off on so, D-Day. Too. It doesn't really peter out in terms of sound quality. Graphics stay the same. The missions are all pretty exciting for the yeah. most part. The, the story that interweaves between each mission is strong and it's relatively affordable. We didn't talk about the prices much while Josh was on, but each one of these games ranges around 15 to 20 bucks. So they're all very accessible. You can find them at most stores. Like they all sold very well. Um, mm-hmm. And they all rate fairly well too. Frontline being the highest, it's a four out of five. Rising Sun being a three out of five. And then European Assault actually ticking back up again with a four out of five. So I, I mean, own... that's that's on the GameCube. Uh, that's on the anthology, uh, sure. which is a bit biased, obviously. But uh, yeah, you are right in, in terms of uh, Frontline has uh, the highest rating overall most of the time, uh, where uh, Rising Sun has the the, the smallest rating mm-hmm. or the, the worst rating, I guess. But yeah. they're all still like at least 7 out of 10s. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they're all good. And I think I, I own Frontline. I think I'd pick up European Assault if I had to pick one of these three. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my next pick, but like I said earlier, I think I'd rather go play uh, the Ally uh, Allied Assault. Allied Assault, thank you. And again, I'd want to go watch uh, Bands of Brothers. That's on my list of things to do now. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, yeah, my pick obviously as well would be Frontline. But uh, before we close this episode out, Neil, mm-hmm. where do you see the Medal of Honor franchise going? We talked about it a bit with Josh, how it kind of got a little bit of a bump up in 2010 when they made the new Medal of Honor in modern times, as well as releasing, re-releasing Frontline in HD. Uh, but since then, we've had some not very great games. One of them specifically, uh, Medal of Honor Warfighter, mm-hmm. which was actually written by, uh, I believe, some uh, na- actual Navy SEALs, uh, which is kind of cool. But apparently that game is almost unplayable uh, from what yeah. I uh, what I've researched. And now with the kind of the Oculus Medal of Honor game, hard to tell where we're going from here. Yeah, I mean, it, it came back in 2010, I think, was an OK game, 2012 being bad. And then it went away for eight years, came back last year as a VR game, which is not a good sign. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that means we're going to get a AAA Medal of Honor game anytime soon. It seemed like that was sort of kind of like the attempt at a reboot of the franchise, which is a shame. I, I think at best you're going to see this game as just a, a re-released HD collection at some point. I think re-releasing the original games up to Allied Assault, maybe Frontline would be a real treat to have the first two PS2 games up and then the third game, sort of like a trilogy. I think that the, having the height of the franchise, you know, there's 17 games. I think if you took the first three and re-released them as a package on PS4, and, or sorry, PS5 and Xbox Series X would be about as much as I could ask for. But since the franchise is now owned by EA and EA has Star Wars Battlefront, they have their Battlefield franchise, I don't think that they're going to put very much effort into a Medal of Honor reboot now or anything. They have so many other series in their repertoire that they could do. I just don't think Medal of Honor is on their top list of games to go back to. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the series is pretty much dead now. I think so. My take is similar to yours, uh, but I think that it will come back. 
I don't think now is the right time. I would wager within five years we see a new Medal of Honor for a new system. That's my uh, my prediction. I, I don't think it's it's going to come for a while. I think it's going to be at least five years away. But mm-hmm. I, I can see something, whatever it is, maybe a big movie, maybe who knows, but, but something creating another renewed interest in World War II and World War II stories being able to bring back Medal of Honor, just like it happened in 1998 with Saving Private Ryan. It could. So you think if it comes back, it would be World War II based? I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think because I think EA would know where their strongest suit is, which is World War II. And they're just mm-hmm. there's just so much stuff you can do with World War II. It's a never ending, uh, you know, library almost of stories, of missions, of of uh, campaigns, of theaters. There's so much interesting topics that, mm-hmm. that are part of World War II that and that it never gets old, literally, because we will have movies about World War II till we don't have movies anymore. Yeah. You know, that's exactly uh, fond memories. I mean, it was call of duty before there was call of duty. So exactly. This, this is my call of duty. I didn't have that. Um, yep. Yep. Yeah, definitely way more nostalgia for me. So Mike, before we close out the episode, I am just going to read the back of the cases for medal of honors. Okay. Do it. Okay. Medal of honor frontline. You don't play. You volunteer all out multiplayer warfare, engage the enemy on war torn landscapes throughout Europe. Go to war as one of 20 allied or Axis soldiers. Defeat the Nazi war machine. Outgun hundreds of Nazi soldiers. Fight alongside battle-hardened allies. Armed to the teeth with 18 authentic World War II weapons. Penetrate enemy strongholds. Master OSS training. 19 deadly missions. Storm the beaches of Normandy. Outsmart highly trained SS officers. Sabotage German U-boats. Now we have Medal of Honor, Rising Sun. 0815 hours. December 7th, 1941. That's Pearl Harbor. An epic single-player adventure. Survive the devastating attack on Pearl Harbor. Battle through the jungle of Guadalcanal to the streets of Singapore. Experience the powerful realities of war. Over 20 authentic World War II weapons. Oh, wow, look at this. THX certified sound design. (laughs) Intense (laughs) multiplayer combat. Engage Japanese forces in two-player co-op mode. Play as Axis or Allied soldiers in four-player combat. Defeat the Japanese Empire. Survive devastating bonsai charges. Fight alongside battle-hardened allies. So they're advertising the THX uh, sound. Mm-hmm, the sound design, yeah. Mm, cool. And now Can for I the- do European oh. Assault, Neil? Yeah, go for it, Mike. Awesome. <laughs> wow, cool. Cool. Thanks, Dad. A time for heroes. A time for honor. Fight to uncover the Nazi's secret or dark secrets. New adrenaline feature. Unleash the hero within. On open battlefields, your choice decides your fate. That's something we completely forgot to talk about in uh, European Assault. There's this new feature called the Adrenaline feature, which is kind of like just a mode where you become basically invincible and overpowered, sort of like Logan in Logan, where you just become an all-out savage going through enemies. You can You become Wolverine. You become Wolverine for 10 seconds, yeah. It makes you feel like (laughs) Spider-Man. The game makes you feel like Spider-Man for a few (laughs) seconds. Took you out of the realism of the war for a little bit, but it was something new that they had to add to keep up with the Call of Duty and the arcadiness of war games at the time. I think my thing with Medal of Honor and like doing research this week, I, I just I think they made a big mistake um, trying to put out a game a year, basically one game for PC, one game for consoles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like um, like Josh said, definitely the market was saturated already. The fact that you were trying to put out one a year at this point, I think just just sped up the saturation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they spread their teams th- too thin for a while with a PC game, a console game, and the Game Boy Advance slash PSP games, which were not on other consoles. So they yeah, had three, yeah. like three games coming out some years. So yeah, yeah, never really a recipe for success. But uh, anyway, that was a fun conversation. Good to have Josh on. Mike, you were great today too. Oh, uh, thank you. You're very welcome. So why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 34 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. On episode 34, we are going to be talking about X-Men games. That's right. Specifically X-Men games. There are technically six X-Men games for the GameCube. And there's one in particular I'm really excited to talk about. I've never played uh, most of these games. I played a bit of them. But X-Men Legends, Mm -hmm. I always hear, is being one of the best superhero games ever released. And I'm really excited to talk about that. Yeah, that's very exciting. I mean, superhero games as a genre are have always been they usually are terrible. Usually, but there there's so many superhero games out there. Like we talked about hundreds of World War II games. There's tenfold superhero <laughs> games on yeah. consoles. Of course, most of them are going to be bad, but there it's just there's never been that superhero fatigue in video games. I thought that we'd see a superhero fatigue in movies by now. We've we've uh, had we kind of have kind uh, of but in a different way. I guess we've seen a bit of a fatigue in terms of the constant Avengers, Marvel kind of style and it seems like we're we're going kind of smaller but i mean like since the arcade days there's been x-men games and then in the console days now we're, we're seeing games like yes. spider-man and the arkham franchise just superhero games are so intertwined with video games and i guess nerd culture in general so it makes sense that there's video games with it too almost mm-hmm. like star wars at this point but yeah that's going to be a lot of fun but until then, ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 33 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make our show better. We're the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. Follow us on Instagram at the GameCube Pod. Check out the new site, thegamecubeiscool.com. Share us with your friends, family, and your local butcher. Tell Santos, Mike says hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. <laughs> Take care. Bye. 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. Do you know a Santos? Nope. <laughs>